Would you read with me Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 14? And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you were lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich. And white garments, so that you may clothe yourself. And the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We tend to associate being reliant on someone else or something else with immaturity. And we tend to associate self-reliance with growth. With progress. So for instance, we have a one and a half year old, and I am eagerly waiting for the day that we can start potty training. <laughs> and we associate that dependence, right, with that early stage of life. Okay, you're you're dependent, but we're gonna we're gonna make you more self-reliant, where you can take care of this yourself. And mom and dad don't have to take care of this anymore, right? That's progress. That's growth. It's good for her that she would grow in that. Or think about training wheels. Okay, for for a while you need to be dependent on these training wheels. You need to be reliant on those, but your growth, your progress is seen by the fact that you don't need those anymore. You don't need to rely on them anymore. You can be self-reliant. You can do this yourself. Or think about even in jobs. I mean, you start out with with some job training, with an orientation. Maybe you even get to shadow someone uh, that that has the job that you're going to be doing. You, You start by that. You rely on them. You ask a lot more questions at the beginning. But a sign of growth, of progress, of maturity is being able to be self reliant, independent. But when it comes to our very identity as human beings, when it comes to our life before God, we were made to be reliant. And the most fully human person, the most mature human, the one who has grown the most, the one who is fully realizing their potential is the most reliant upon God. From the beginning, this was how it was supposed to be. God made 
humans to bear his image, to be reliant on him. Those who are image bearers, who are reflectors of God, are, de- are dependent, are reliant upon the one whose image they bear. We're not self-reliant, coming up with this on our own or making this up on the fly. No, we, we look to God and we reflect his image. We're supposed to be dependent. We're supposed to be reliant. God made man to have dominion over the earth. Well, not just to figure it out on his own, but no, God, as the creator, had dominion over the earth, and man was to be an extension of his dominion over all the, all the earth. He was to depend on God because he was to be a reflector of God. He was to be an extension of God. We were made to be reliant upon God. The problem is, in our sinfulness, the essence of sin is relying on ourself. Thinking that we know better. Thinking that we can do it on our own. Thinking that we've got this. It comes in sin, this attitude of being self-reliant. And even when we're led to the cross and we're we realize, oh, this self-reliance has gotten me in trouble. This self-reliance is leading me to hell. This self-reliance dependence on myself is not going to work out in the end. I need Jesus. Even those of us who have trusted in Jesus for forgiveness and trusted in Jesus and his work and his righteousness, and not in ourselves, we are tempted to think that growth in godliness is self-reliance. We're tempted to have that same sort of attitude that Early on, we need the training wheels. Early on, we need to shadow someone and ask a lot of questions. But the more that we grow as Christians, the more spiritual we become, the more independent we can be, the more self-reliant we are, the more we should have all of our stuff together. But what Jesus is getting at here in this letter to the church in Laodicea is that the self-reliant person is not the mature person. No, the self-reliant person is missing it. The self-reliant person is delusional. The self-reliant person makes Jesus sick. And so what he is inviting us into, encouraging us here in this letter, is to come to him, to depend on him, to rely on him, to find our all in Jesus and not in ourselves, to live for him by depending on him. The main thing that we need to see in this letter today, the main message, Jesus to our church today, rely on Jesus. Rely on Jesus. First reason we should rely on Jesus is because Jesus is the reliable source. Jesus is the reliable source. Look with me again at verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. So when I say that Jesus is the reliable source, uh, I mean it to be a little bit of a play on words. There's sort of a double meaning. And the first has to do with this idea of Jesus being the amen, the faithful and true witness. So amen. Um, I'm going to give you a little uh, Greek and Hebrew lesson this morning. The English word amen 
comes from the Greek word, amen. Feel smarter already, don't you? Well, just wait. The Greek word, amen, comes from the Hebrew word, amen. So now you know. You guys know two, two new words in two new languages. How about that? Um, so the, the word amen, though, we just kind of carried it over. Started in Hebrew is amen, Greek, amen, English, amen. Uh, what it means is truly. It's an affirmation of the truth. We see this throughout Scripture. We do it today, right? Someone says something that's true, and you say, amen. Yeah, that's true. I agree. Absolutely. You're right. I affirm that that is true. So to say that Jesus is the amen is to say he affirms what is true. Did someone amen that? Okay. Thank you. I expect a lot more amens this morning and now as a result of that. In Greek and Hebrew. So Jesus, as the amen, is the one who affirms truth. He, he affirms what is true. And we see this idea continue in this title, the faithful and true witness. What does a faithful and true witness do? A faithful and true witness affirms what is true. A faithful and true witness is an amen. An unfaithful witness is someone you can't count on to know the truth. A false witness is someone that maybe knows the truth, but you can't count on to tell the truth. A faithful and true witness is one who knows the truth, you can count on, you can rely on to know the truth, and to tell the truth. Jesus is the faithful and true witness. He's the amen. And this is going to become important because here in the rest of the letter, Jesus is going to tell the church in Laodicea the truth about them that they don't even realize themselves. They're believing a lie about themselves, and Jesus, the amen, the faithful and the true witness, is going to tell them, confront them with the truth about themselves. We often need Jesus to come and break through our own self-deception, the lies that we believe about ourselves, the lies that we believe about how to relate to God, the lies that we believe about how to be right with God. We need Jesus to break through that as the faithful and true witness and say, no, You are deceiving yourselves. You're believing a lie. I am the faithful and true witness. Let me tell you the truth about God, the truth about yourself, and the truth about your need for me, as we will see. Jesus is also the beginning of God's creation. Now, right out of the gate, we have to make sure we avoid an error that we could easily fall into here. To say that Jesus is the beginning of God's creation does not mean that Jesus was created. He is not the beginning of God's creation in that, like, he was the first one created. No. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. He is fully God. He has existed for all of eternity. He is not created. He is the creator. The beginning of God's creation, to say that about Jesus, is that he was the one who began God's creation. Uh, We see a similar idea to this in the Gospel of John. In uh, chapter 1, the very opening of Uh, John's gospel, it echoes what we see in Genesis 1. John, starting in verse 1 of chapter 1, says, In the beginning was the Word, Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. 
Jesus as the beginning of God's creation is the one through whom creation began. He is the one who is the source of life. He is the source of all creation. See, there's that double meaning. He's the reliable source in that he's a faithful witness, but he's also the source of all life. In him was life, and it was through him that creation began. Well, but there's more to this title, the beginning of God's creation, than just that. Would you turn with me to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15? So yes, Jesus is the one through whom creation as we know it began. But we also see more about this in Colossians 1 and verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. Jesus, we mentioned just before that, uh, that humans are to be uh, image bearers of God. They're to reflect God's image. Well, Jesus, as fully God and fully man, is perfectly what we all are supposed to be. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Again, not created. Firstborn is a title of authority. He has authority over creation. Verse 16 of Colossians 1. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Notice that phrase. He says, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Jesus, this is a reference to Jesus' resurrection. He died and he came back to life. What Paul is getting at here in Colossians 1 is that as the one who was resurrected, as the firstborn from the dead, what he's saying is he is the first of many to be resurrected from the dead. He is the firstborn from the dead in that he is going to resurrect more people from the dead. And in this Jesus, the firstborn from the dead, the first to be resurrected of many, he is reconciling all things to himself, whether on earth or in heaven. We take that together with what uh, John is saying, or what Jesus is saying in Revelation chapter 3, and then just look at one more verse, flip back to Revelation, but in chapter 1. This all kind of comes together here. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5. John refers to Jesus, and he, he refers to him as Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. Okay, so there's a connection with our passage. Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth. So you take this, put it all together, and what we see is that Jesus, as the beginning of God's creation, is, yes, the one through whom creation as we know it came into existence, but he is also the beginning of of a new creation. 
as the one through whom creation as we know it began, he has authority over all creation. He rules over all creation. And as the firstborn from the dead, the first of many to be resurrected, he has authority over the new creation that is coming. He's over all of creation as we know it, and he's over a new creation that he is bringing about. In the first creation, God started with making the heavens and the earth, right? Genesis 1.1. And then he filled it, ultimately, with people, his image bearers. In the new creation, God starts with people. He starts with resurrection of the heart. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. He starts with the people and then ends with a new heavens and a new earth. And Jesus is preeminent over it all. He is the one who reigns over the current creation. He is the one who is bringing about and reigns over the new creation. He is the source of all things that we know, all things that exist today. He's the source of that. And he is the source of all things that will be in the new heavens and the new earth. Why is this important? Because Jesus is saying, uh, as he continues in this letter to Laodicea, that they have a need. And they have a need for something that he possesses because he is the one who reigns over all of creation. He is the one who reigns over the new creation. He has eternal riches, eternal gold, and eternal white garments, and eternal eye ointment that, he, that they need and he can give to them because he owns it all. What he's going to correct Laodicea on is that they are too caught up in old world riches. And what they need is the new eternal reward that is only found in him who is the firstborn from the dead. Him who died and came back to life. And so what we need to realize if we're going to rely on Jesus is that Jesus is the reliable source. He is the amen, the faithful witness, the beginning of God's creation. He has what we need because he has everything. It is all found in Jesus. So Jesus is the reliable source. Therefore, second, we need to repent of self-reliance. Repent of self-reliance. Look at verses 15 through 17 with me again. Jesus says, Jesus, the faithful and true witness says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Jesus is rebuking the church at Laodicea for being self-reliant. The first picture he gives of being self-reliant is being lukewarm. So he sets up a contrast here, but the contrast is not between cold on the one hand and hot on the other hand. No, the contrast is between cold or hot on the one hand and lukewarm on the other hand. See, because cold or hot are both good. Cold, you think about water. Cold water is refreshing. Hot water is soothing, but it's the, the lukewarm that's the problem. It's a lukewarm that's 
not good for those things. And if you think about it, lukewarm water, lukewarm is what water becomes when it relies on itself. Lukewarm is water that is what water becomes when nothing happens to it. When it's totally self-reliant, when it's all by itself, that's what water becomes, lukewarm. Lukewarm water is water that relies on itself. And Jesus says that he is so dissatisfied with where they are in their self-reliance, it makes him sick. He says, I see you as lukewarm, and I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. It disgusts Jesus that they would be lukewarm. We see more of this picture of them being self-reliant as he says, you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. There's something worse than being poor, according to Jesus. It's thinking that you're rich when you're actually poor and deceiving yourself. Uh, There was an episode of Little House on the Prairie where Laura Ingalls father finds out, uh, he receives a letter, I think, that uh, he is going to be the recipient of a very large inheritance from a deceased relative. And so the Ingalls family, uh, you know, doesn't have a lot of money. They get this news and they're ecstatic. They go on a spending spree. We're rich. We'll come to find out when the money arrives, the inheritance arrives, it was all Confederate money. And it was good for nothing. They thought they were rich. But they were relying on that which wasn't really treasure. They were counting on that which really did not have value. And that is the rebuke that Jesus has for this church. You're saying, you're boasting in your own wealth. You're boasting in your prosperity. You're saying, I need nothing And you don't realize that you are wretched and pitiable and poor and blind and naked. You don't realize how much you need me. You don't realize how poor you are. Laodicea was a a, a well-to-do city. They were a very affluent place. And it is easy in affluence to believe the lie that we're in good shape. We have everything we need. What could we possibly need? It's the same in our culture. It's easy to believe the lie like, we got this. We have enough. We have all the resources we need. It's easy to let that attitude shape the way that we treat Jesus, the way that we approach Jesus. Say, I, I need nothing. That is the essence of self-reliance. The essence of of being lukewarm, the attitude that says, I need nothing. A self-confidence in our own spiritual wealth that we think we have, not realizing how much we really need. So what's the solution? Jesus says in verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. 
and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Jesus says to those who are poor and blind and naked spiritually, come to me. I have what you need. Stop relying on that which is not treasure. Stop relying on that which is not riches and come to me. Well, how are poor people supposed to buy something from Jesus? He says, I'm telling you to buy this. Well, we saw it in Isaiah 55 at the beginning of our service today. In Isaiah 55, what we hear is a message from God, is a message that echoes and reverberates here in the letter to Laodicea. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Jesus offers eternal gold. He offers white garments. He offers ointment salve for your eyes for free. If you would just come and take it. If you would recognize your need for Jesus. If you would recognize not just your one-time need, not just a couple of times, not just in low moments, but your day-to-day, moment-by-moment, in every aspect of life, your need for Jesus. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount as he paints the picture of what flourishing in the kingdom of heaven is like. The very first words out of his mouth when he sits down to teach his disciples, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's those who recognize their desperate need, who recognize their spiritual poverty, that inherit the treasure of the kingdom. We need to realize that Jesus wants us to repent of our self-reliance by relying on him instead. To stop relying on what we think we have on our own and to depend on his power, his strength, his wealth, his riches. Jesus here gives a, a word to the Laodiceans about how he disciplines those that he loves. We need to understand that, yes, discipline is painful. But you know why discipline is painful? It's because in Jesus' loving discipline, he is taking something from you that you're trying to rely on instead of him. It hurts, but it's good for you because it is better for you to rely on Jesus than to rely on that which He is removing from your grasp. Discipline hurts, but Jesus says it's an act of love because the most loving thing that he can do is make you more dependent on himself. And so even as we see here that Jesus is offering these treasures for free, it sheds a new light on this idea that Jesus says, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. This idea that, that he is um, disgusted. It's not that he is saying, man, I wish you would do better. Man, why don't, why don't you do what I want you to do? 
Why don't you meet my standard? No, he's not saying that. He's saying, listen, I'm offering you something for free. Come rely on me. Buy without money. Take it. I'm standing at the door knocking. Jesus' offer in the gospel, Jesus' offer for treasure is not, hey, come to my door, and if you give me a good enough reason, I'll let you into my treasure. No, Jesus is coming to their door, and he's saying, I'm here. Come and take it. Come and let me in. I want to dine with you. I want to give you this rich wine and this rich food and dine with you for free if you would just let me in. But the reliance, the self-reliance of the Laodiceans, they are treating Jesus as if he's not welcome in there. They're treating Jesus as not, we got this. We're good. We don't need that. We have need of nothing. We're rich. We've prospered. And Jesus is saying, you don't realize I'm right here. I'm knocking. My riches are free for the taking. So we need to ask ourselves, where are we self-reliant? Maybe you're relying on yourself for eternal life. Maybe you think, yeah, there's a heaven, and one day I'm going to get there because I'm a good person. I have need of nothing. Or maybe you do realize, no, I, I, I don't have what it takes on my own. I need to trust in Jesus. He needs to forgive me of my sin. I have to depend on his righteousness. But in your Christian life, you're acting like someone who thinks they have need of nothing, not as someone who is wretched and pitiable and poor and blind and naked and in desperate need of Jesus' resources. So as you evaluate, Am I self-reliant or am I relying on Jesus? Ask questions like this. Am I, are you relying on your understanding or are you relying on the word of God? Are you working harder or praying more? Are you confessing your sins or are you hiding them? Are you admitting that you were incorrect or sticking to your guns? Are, are you listening more, or are you speaking more? Are you trusting Jesus to shape your priorities and what you ought to, ought to value? Or are you just living for what you want, what you think is best? Jesus looks at the self-reliant church, the self-reliant person, and says, Repent. Come to me for riches, free for the taking. Rely on me and you can find in me everything you need. Lastly, rely on Jesus till the end. Look with me at verse 21. Jesus makes a promise here. The one who conquers... I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. As I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. As we seek to rely on Jesus to the end, 
to rely on Jesus in all of our perseverance and endurance in this life. First, we need to rely on Jesus as our example. You know, in every letter that we've seen so far, Jesus says, to the one who conquers, and then he makes a promise to that person, the one who conquers, who makes it to the end, who endures, who is faithful until that day that they see Jesus face to face. That person, he makes a promise to them. But in this letter, for the first time, he says that we are to conquer like Jesus conquered. He says, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. We need to rely on Jesus by following his example of conquering. Well, how did Jesus conquer? Look over with me at Revelation chapter 5 and verses 5 and 6. See a picture of Jesus conquering. One of the elders said to me, to John, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll in its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. So John hears. Here's the one who conquered like a lion. And then he turns and looks and he sees a lamb who was slain. Jesus conquered like a lion by being slain like a lamb. Jesus' example of conquering is one of humility. He conquered by being obedient to the point of death. He conquered by being dependent on the Father, by saying, not my will, but yours be done. He conquered by being faithful. And he, as our Messiah, is the one who sets an example for us of how we conquer. It's through his same example, his model of humility of dependence upon him just like he was dependent on the Father, of obedience to him just like he was obedient to the Father. And he was faithful to rely on the Father for everything, in everything, and for uh, instruction and guidance in everything. We need to rely on Jesus as our example. We also, though, need to rely on Jesus for eternal treasure. Look at what Jesus promises to the one who conquers. I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. We may be tempted to think, I am rich. I have prospered. And I need nothing. But what Jesus offers to the one who relies on him is greater treasure, greater riches, something that we could never, ever get on our own. He offers to come and sit with him on his eternal throne and to reign with him in the new heavens and new earth. The riches and the treasures of eternity far outweigh anything else that we would trust in in this life. But most importantly, we need to rely on Jesus because he conquered for us. 
We rely on Jesus because he conquered for us. I've uh, read this verse many times in this series, and I, I, I need to come back to it once again. Revelation 12 and verse 11. They have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. We can conquer because Jesus conquered for us. He's not only our example of how to conquer. He is the reason we can conquer. It's because of his sacrifice in our place that we can have forgiveness of sins. It's because he rose from the grave and defeated death, defeated the enemy, defeated the grave, that we can have victory. Our victory does not belong to us. Our victory belongs to the Lord. It is his victory, his conquering that gives us the victory, that enables us to overcome. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. It was through his death and his resurrection that the father exalted him to his right hand and put him on his throne and gave him the name that's above every other name. And Jesus says, it is because of my position, my sacrifice, my resurrection, what I have done for you that you can conquer and that you can reach the day where you can come to me and have eternal treasure. So rely on me. Buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. He has conquered so that he has all riches to freely give to all who would rely on him. He has conquered so that he can wash your garments white in his blood and give you eternal cleansing and purity before God, not because of your works, but because he can clean your heart. And even though we are blind in the darkness of sin, he offers salve to anoint our eyes, to open our eyes to the light of the gospel and to see the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. We can rely on Jesus because he conquered for us. And so, as we consider Jesus the beginning of God's creation, the image of the invisible God, the one who owns it all, the one who is the source of eternal treasure, and the one who died to purchase you and me, may we rely on this Jesus. May we not be so foolish as to think in and of ourselves, oh, we've got this. I've got this. I need nothing. No. May we come to Jesus recognizing I am poor and pitiable and blind and naked and I need Jesus. I needed Jesus the moment I came to him for forgiveness of sins and I need him today. And I realize I need him more today than I even thought in the beginning. Because our growth and maturity in Christ looks like being more and more reliant on Jesus, not less and less. Let's pray together. Father, 
We don't want to be lukewarm. Or we don't want to deceive ourselves into thinking that we need nothing when in reality, we are in a miserable condition. And so, Lord, may we realize that everything we need is found in Jesus. May we stop trusting in ourselves. Lord, for those here today who are trusting in themselves to make themselves right with you, Lord, I pray that they would realize that they are poor, that they are blind, that they are naked, and that they desperately need your riches. They desperately need your clothing. They desperately need you to open their eyes. And if you don't do it, it won't be done. But praise God, Jesus offers this for free. Lord, I pray that all of us would come to Jesus, depend on Jesus, trust him more and more and more, and recognize that we bring nothing to the table. May we find our full confidence in Jesus, our full hope in Jesus. We love you and praise you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.